we kind of did this to ourselves. The current model of our NGOs, the way we kind of set up, we've kind of done that. We've done the whole, you know, form letter style. Let's let one one man represent, you know, a lobbyist represent thousands and thousands of people. We've, we've never called the hunter and angler to action. We've never said we need to be activists. Activism was always a dirty word because it's what the other side does. But why can't we be activists? Why can't we be the champions of wildlife? Because we are. The anti-hunting establishment has no problems giving grants to each other. They have no problem locking arms together and showing up to meetings together and doing all these things together because their ultimate goal is to end us. Even though they have, you know, the save the whales people, the save the polar bears people, you know, they have their niches, but they always come together. That's why you see Project Coyote, Husis, and Wildlife for All, and all these other things. They always show up and we do not. We have this big effect we have this big impact on everything in the world. That's why it's important for us to manage everything in a fashion that is with a with the idea that we want to keep it. That you know, that's where the word conservation comes from. We want to be able to use and conserve things so that it's continually there. We're in a place now that not that I want you to walk around on eggshells, but I I want people to be mindful of what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they're portraying it. Not just for the negative stuff, but even for the positive stuff. Think about it. I'm not against posting grip and grins. You'll see a lot of people out there, hey, don't post this, don't post that. And then you got people like, that's pushing this hunt quietly deal. I don't really necessarily believe in that. I believe that if you're gonna post a grip and grin, post a really good caption with it, and also post a picture of the meat, post a picture of you packing the meat out, post a picture of the meal you've made with that meat so that the whole story is there. When we can educate other wildlife advocates in the non-hunting world about our work and our efforts and our legitimate and sincere appreciation for all wildlife, I think it's gonna go a long way to improving people's perception about hunters and about hunting. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes. Can't stress it enough, it's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Howlful Wildlife, super simple, takes a couple minutes you can even do the free membership i don't care but be involved lastly i want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game and go get you some phoenix shooting bags use promo code john stallone to save 20 percent. that's all i got for you let's get into this episode Hello, everybody. Jesse Dubell here with the Aiva podcast and very excited today to have a special guest from Howl for Wildlife. Today on our episode, we're going to be talking with John Stallone. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, well, yeah, John Stallone. I am a father of three, husband, been uh, hunting and fishing since some. Um, well, I don't know about fishing, but hunting I've been doing since I'm five, fishing probably before that, I don't know. And uh, yeah, I wear a number of hats in the hunting industry. I've had my own podcasts for over 15 years, uh, was on TV and was one of the first guys to pioneer online hunting TV 
owned the hunting channel online, uh, written for numerous magazines, published a couple of books, outfitter in Arizona. And, uh, yeah, I think that kind of sums it up, <laughs> man. Well, that, that's, that's awesome. That's a very extensive resume. Yeah. I've been at it for a long time. <laughs> Burning, well, burning it on both ends for a very long time. <laughs> and where, where do you live, John? I live in Arizona. I'm oh, okay. Phoenix, greater area. I mean, Scottsdale, basically. But Yeah, fantastic, man. Do you uh, ever work with our Arizona affiliate, the Arizona Wildlife Federation? Uh, we do from time to time, yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic, John. Well, you and I just met here recently because the New Mexico State Legislature is going on. And you contacted me to talk about some support that Howl for Wildlife could provide to the Federation in helping us to kind of influence some of the legislation moving through our state house currently. And, and I was wondering if you could talk about Howl for Wildlife, what you guys do, when you started, who's involved and how it's going. Well, we started, I guess officially it was um, January of last year. So a little over a year that we officially launched. And even that was, we kind of, I say prematurely launched because we weren't quite done putting all the pieces of the puzzle together when we launched. But there was a bill here in Arizona that was trying to ban bear, lion, and bobcat hunting. And I knew we needed to be involved and we needed to get, nip it in the butt before it got to the next level, uh, in which we did, which was awesome. Who is involved? Mainly the main players are myself and Charles Whitwam. And we're a board of three. Mike Costello is another gentleman that is on the board. We have numerous people that are helping out with, you know, from the volunteer side. And we have a couple of employees that are help us out with content writing and so on and so forth but if, as an organization standpoint we're kind of small or we're, we're not kind of small we are small uh we'd love to have a lot more help and be able to pay salaries and and have uh people doing numerous things that we have that we've we've developed and and thought about and ideas that we've come up with to further along the 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 idea of what we're doing, but you know, in good time, that'll all come. We've, uh, we grew from obviously zero to, I think 26,000 active members. So it's been, uh, it's been a wild ride the last year or so. Dude, it's uh, been amazing. I've kind of watched the organization grow from very early on. And it was unfortunate that howl for wildlife wasn't started prior to the bill that, outlawed trapping on public lands in New Mexico. Uh, we lost trapping here in the state by one single vote. And I feel like Howell for Wildlife has some of the most impressive systems I've ever seen to get hunters engaged. And as you've probably experienced, John, getting hunters to show up is sometimes very, very challenging. It's, it's uh, ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mentioned the 26,000. If you think about it, I should be like, oh my God, that's so great. But to me, it's very un unimpressive. I mean, there's at least 15 million hunters in the United States. So the way I see it, the way I feel, the way I, I think that people should be involved, I feel like all 15 million of those people 
should be at least, at the very least, a free member of Health Wildlife. I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think you're spot on with that. In New Mexico, we'll have 72,000 people apply for elk tags in this upcoming draw. The draw, mm-hmm. you know, is going to close March 22nd. And we'll have 72,000 people apply for tags. But throughout this entire legislative session, I've only witnessed one single hunter show up to committee hearings to provide testimony to protect the future of hunting and angling in New Mexico. One person who's not paid, you know, I'm at the legislature every day, but that's my job. And there are other advocates who are there, you know, doing their job. But as far as a volunteer, a hunter just showing up without being paid, only one, I've seen this entire legislative session. And when I talked to him, I said, well, why aren't you showing up? Oh, I got to work. But when they draw that elk tag, they have no problem to take two weeks off for the elk hunt. How come you can't devote a day to protecting that ability to continue elk hunting? Anyway, sorry for the soapbox. Rant, no, no, just... it's it's necessary to say because it's the truth. I don't want this to be a sit here a, a calling out session, but hey, let, we we started down this road. Let's 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 get into the weeds a little bit here. <laughs> you know, we kind of did this to ourselves. The current model of our NGOs, the way we kind of set up. We've kind of done that. We've done the whole, you know, form letter style. Let's let one one man represent, you know, a lobbyist represent thousands and thousands of people. We've we've never called the hunter and angler to action. We've never said we need to be activists. Activism was always a dirty word because it's what the other side does. It's the you know, animal rights activists. But why can't we be activists? Why can't we be the champions of wildlife? Because we are. Like, that's the reality of it. The truth of the matter is we are the champions of wildlife. Halfa Wildlife's been saying that anti-hunting is anti-wildlife, you know, because we feel that way. If, if anti-hunters are to succeed in what they're trying to do, it would really have a adverse effect on wildlife in, in as a whole. hundred percent. I agree with that completely. Obviously the funding is a huge component, but even outside of the funding, just the advocacy, the habitat work, the projects on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred percent, you know, what you're saying is, is just spot on. And we, so going back to how, you know, the, the New Mexico wildlife Federation was founded in 1914 by Aldo Leopold. Like we've been around a really, really long time Mm -hmm. and we have some like database management tools. We have software tools. We create action alerts and and do things kind of similar to what you do, but not nearly as well as you do it, which is, I mean, quite frankly, I'm jealous um, (laughs) of, of your, of your systems. I mean, you, can you talk a little bit about what those systems are and kind of the strategy that Howell implements to get hunters engaged across the country. Cause I'm just working primarily in one state. I mean, we do right. work on some, you know, federal legislation, but typically it's only how it pertains to New Mexico, but I've been involved with Howell engaging in issues in Washington, issues in California, mm-hmm. issues in Florida, issues in New Jersey here from New Mexico. And I'd, I'd never done that previous to your organization and my you know, membership with your organization. So it, it's just been fascinating for me. And I'd, I'd like to hear how it all came together and kind of what your philosophies are regarding the tools that you use. Well, how it came about, we could start there, is uh, Charles had contacted me. Charles is the president of Halfa Wildlife. And uh, 
he is the guy that kind of put the current system in place and, and built out the technology side of it. But he had contacted me about a bill that had came up in California that they were trying to ban bear hunting. And I said, well, listen, like we, I have a huge platform. You got a platform, you, you know, you got a good following. You, we know all these people with all these big platforms. Why don't we start a change.org petition? We'll push it out there to everybody and see if we can move the needle. Well, in five days, we had a ridiculous response, something like, I don't even remember what the number is, but there was like 25,000 people got involved in this petition. And this petition, we had it set up so that it was sending messages directly to the sponsoring the sponsoring people of the bill, which was uh, Senator Weiner, which is his name. And it was in opposition of it. And also the wording of it and how we presented it was very, you know, it wasn't like, we, these are our rights. We weren't, you know, we were talking from uh, from a place of, of reason. And it went over very well and it took five days and the guy removed his name from sponsorship and pulled the bill. And we're like, wow, this is very powerful. We then tried it again on a deal in Montana. We didn't have quite as much of a engagement, but we still were able to move the needle on that. And we're like, okay, there's definitely something to this. So I actually went down the road of trying to make the website through some developers that I had used in the past. And anyway, it failed miserably. And uh, COVID hit. And uh, Charles had a bunch of time on his hands because of the business that he he has. And um, he was able to put together the right technology and put this platform in place. And that brings us to where we are today as far as technology-wise and how we kind of came about. The way Howl works is we connect the hunter to the decision-maker. So if a bill comes out, we provide all the educational tools on, we call them actions. On that action, we provide all the educational tools of what's going on, what the implications are, uh, what our stances, you know, or what we feel is going on with our stance and where our stance is on it. And in that, we develop anywhere from 10 or 15 different emails to a hundred, let's say. And all these emails are are sent directly to the decision makers. We've made it so that you can edit the emails. We made it so that you can completely erase the email and put your own email there. And and the reason why is we want it we don't want it to be canned. We don't want it to be a form letter. We don't want it to be anything like that. We want it to come from you and connect you to that decision maker with your ideas, your, your feelings and your perception or, or uh, position on that particular action. So, you know, we basically, we created the easy button for people because in the past, it's always been, this is the, this is what's going on. You might have the education there. This is what's going on. This is so-and-so's organization's position on it, contact your legislator. Well, 
you're going to contact your legislator who may or may not have anything to do. Well, first off, before that, how do I contact my legislator? Who is my legislator? You put all these roadblocks up that people are not going to want to do. Okay. And then you try to contact them with somebody that's may or may not have anything to do with the bill. You know, that's like you going to talk to your mom about a problem at work. Like you're not fixing anything. You're just, you're just complaining to somebody. Right. And, (laughs) and, um, you know, we basically eliminated those roadblocks, made it as simple as possible for people to get involved and made it as effective as possible by connecting you directly to the people that are going to make decisions on that. This was such a, a needed service and the way you guys are doing it is, is phenomenal. And it's, it's complicated, right? Legislation is very complicated and a lot of times very. the devil's in the details. And so getting people to just understand what's going on and then how to plug into what's going on is, is a huge hurdle that, that I feel like you've done a really great job of overcoming. I mean, right now in Florida and in Montana, I think Howell's working really hard to support some constitutional amendments to create a right to hunt and fish, right? That is correct. And in New Mexico in 2021, there was a right to hunt bill introduced in our state legislature, but it's complicated because embedded in this bill was a poison pill Mm. was language that could have compromised stream access in the state. And at that time, the wildlife Federation had a pending lawsuit trying to, you know, get stream access to adhere to what the state constitution says, which is the public has a right to recreate in our public waters. But in 2021, that wasn't the case because of a game commission rule that has since been overturned by our state Supreme court. But it was complicated because now we have the state's oldest and largest pro hunting advocacy organization doing everything possible to kill a constitutional amendment titled the right to hunt and fish. Yeah. So messaging that was a real challenge. I mean, getting people to understand because the average hunter just looks at the title of the bill and then it's like, well, wait a second. Why is the wildlife Federation opposing? That's ridiculous. you know, right. to go the anti-hunting route or what's what's happening here. But it's so nuanced, right? Legislation can be so nuanced. And your ability to cut through all of the complications and get right to the point to influence decision makers by recruiting voices from around the country is just really uh, a unique approach that I've never seen done prior to the start of Howl. Yeah, well, that's, that's just it. You know, most great things come about uh, by trying to fill a void, right? We saw the need and we set out to create it. And Hal does other things, and I'll get into them here in a second. But you had said something earlier that made me think of this, and then I I didn't want to interrupt you, and I forgot about it for a second, and I just remembered it. We actually created our action center in a way that, at least the way we envisioned it, wasn't just the way we're doing it now, like us doing the recruiting and so on and so forth. The initial thought process on the whole deal was for us to be a tool for all the other NGOs to use. So our action center, or I, and I know, I know for a fact, I know what these things cost. So like, for instance, we wanted to provide our action center to someone like you. Okay. Instead of you paying 
whatever it is you're paying a year, 15,000, 20,000 a year for your action center and for your, for, to use that, to be able to provide that service for the other NGOs. One, so that we would have one unified deal. Okay. Where that this is like our biggest mission statement is that we're trying to unify the sportsman, not I'm the elk hunter, I'm the deer hunter, I'm the bass fisherman, I'm the you know lion hunter, I'm the bear hunter, I'm from New York, I'm from California. None of that. We're all in this together. And that was the idea was to have like we actually Charles brought this up when we were kind of conceptualizing it, like JSOC. There's all these different branches of the military and DOJ and whatever, but JSOC kind of oversees them all. Not that we wanted to be in control of what was going on, but, but there's a centralized place so that people can get involved and get get things done. Because if everybody's pulling in different directions, then there's not, there's not that cohesive. We're not as effective, basically. So, yeah, and we experience that here in New Mexico a lot because there are a lot of issues here in the state that are divisive. I mean, there's no other way to to explain it other than infighting. I mean, hunters mm-hmm. fighting with hunters, hunters fighting with outfitters. You know, we've got our our draw allocation system is structured in such a way that it pits sportsmen and women against each other mm-hmm. very often, very often in the state. And so it's a it's a tricky thing because. On one hand, the Wildlife Federation wants to advocate for the things that really, really matter to us, like, you know, prioritized resident hunting opportunity. I think, you know, we all often talk about Arizona as being the model. The way your game commission is structured, I think, is the best in the country. The way your tag allocations work, I think, are the best in the country. Like, Arizona is the gold standard that we often refer to. New Mexico, it's just a mess. And I'm not trying to – I guess what I'm trying to say is I absolutely respect and appreciate this – goal or intent to unify the sporting groups that's awesome and and i completely support that and so i'm not trying to get you involved in things that would do otherwise like the fact that 62 percent of elk tags in new mexico go to the public draw and the other 38 percent are handed out to individuals to sell to the highest bidder you know Mm -hmm. that's a that's an issue that creates a lot of infighting and i just have a, a lot of respect for howell for avoiding those kind of issues and focusing on the bigger picture stuff. Like there are organizations and individuals out there who absolutely would like to stop the activities that you and I enjoy participating in so much. There are people out there that would like to see those things come to a screeching halt Mm -hmm. and you've created a tool that makes the hunting community very, very effective at combating those efforts. Yes. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're, we don't want to get involved in those those issues that you just mentioned, you know, like whether or not trail cameras should be used or, you know, there's always going to be people on both sides of the fence on the, in the hunting community on that. And for us to waste time and resources trying to get involved in those, it's tough because our goal is to unify and not, you know, divide. So, we're not going to get involved in stuff that's going to divide. You know, obviously there's always outliers on every little bill, but um, but we do not want to get involved in stuff that is going to divide the hunting community for sure. For yeah, sure. And I, you know, I think that's brilliant. And, 
you know, it, it can't be overstated, I don't think, how far above your weight Howell is currently punching. I mean, to have a, a team as small as the team that you described and to be accomplishing the, the things that you're accomplishing, I, I mean, just as, as a random guess, could you tell me how many actions uh, are taken on some of your more popular action items in your action center? Um, like, I could tell you this. Last year, we had over 1 million something in correspondence go out from our action center. That's that's just unbelievable. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't believe you. I have, I do believe no, no. it. It's, I know it's what just you're so <laughs> like, like it, it, it's 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 just awesome. And and I can't thank you enough for for what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I've got a couple of questions that it, it might seem a little bit off topic, but when sure. I first heard of the organization, and you guys are getting recognition all over the country i've heard you know you and other team members on a number of different podcasts and mm-hmm. having these conversations and then you know i'm kind of addicted to the wednesday morning meat eater trip meat eater trivia shows i like those conservation trivia things and i've heard a number of times that the winner of the trivia like Giannis patelis might win and his donation is going to howl for wildlife yeah, Giannis uh, has we, been a big supporter he's a great guy <laughs> Yeah, he he really is, and and I'm so happy to see that. But when I first heard of it, I was I was a little confused because of the name of the organization and the logo. Because mm-hmm. generally, you know, wolves are are kind of a controversial topic when we're talking about a hunting community. And so when I saw Howl for Wildlife, my initial reaction was that it was not a pro hunting organization. Obviously, as soon as I looked into it, I. I very quickly uh, was corrected. But do you want to talk about how you came up with the logo and the name of the organization? Because I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, it was by design. So part of that uh, that change.org thing was the way we worded it was, and, and, and this was a product of Charles, actually, to be honest with you, specifically, because he, he wrote up that change.org. And it basically said, I wish I had it in front of me so I can, but do you want to save wildlife? And there was a bunch of people who were not hunters signing that petition and donating, which, you know, you're dating, you're donating to change.org. You're not donating to us. But so we're like, man, there's something to this. We need to be something that is appealing to not the anti-hunting, but the non-hunting public. Okay. And it was like, that was part of it. The other part of it was the anti-hunters already co-opting the idea that they're conservationists when they're not, they're preservationists. They co-opt animals like the wolf. That's the reason why you have that idea in your head that you see the symbol of a wolf this means anti-hunting is because they co-opted those animals. Wolf is like apex predator, apex hunter. Why, why can't we be a wolf? Why can't we, you know, we want to take back those things that they've taken away from us. So that was the other eye. And then the last thing was the howl was what is more powerful as a pack coming together and howling together, sending that message, sending that, that one voice, we, we say one voice, one howl, that one voice 
in the direction and pointing it at what we needed to, you know, what the task at hand is. So it was, there was a combination of those three, three ideas that led us down the road to powerful wildlife. Man, that's brilliant on so many different levels. You know, that's, that's just, uh, that's marketing genius, I think. And one of the reasons I guess that you guys are on such a trajectory that you are is because of that train of thought, I guess that, that strategic mindset going into this thing with a very goal oriented and very intentional, right? Like this, this stuff, your strategies are not by accident. I mean, it seems like there's very intentional decisions being made as to how to make this the organization that you originally envisioned. And it seems to be working super, super well. I'm sure there's been some struggles and challenges along the way. Would, would you like to, uh, to get into that at all? Some of the, the things that you've had to overcome throughout this just over a year long journey. Obviously when we first came on the scene, the first hurdle was the same hurdle that you had to overcome on your own was looking at us as an anti-hunting organization. You know, we got the whole green decoy thing right there in the beginning, but luckily we did so much work so fast and so, you know, so effectively that that kind of went away real, real quick, at least mainstream it went away. I'm sure there's still plenty of people out there that are skeptical or whatever, but I kind of always hope that maybe this is, I don't know, foolish of me to think this way or, or maybe I'm, I'm just tooting my own horn, but I figured I hope that when people looked into it and saw that I was behind it and Charles was behind it, that were both very outspoken, lifelong hunters. And I have plenty of content out there on YouTube and whatever, you know, videos of me actively taking animals and so on and so forth so that <laughs> that people would, you know, be like, oh yeah, no, they, they can't be, they can't be because they're this, you know, but that was, that was hurdle number one. And really hurdle number two, and it's still a thing, although it's, it's slow, it's slowly changing is, um, is the other organizations. Uh, a lot of them, I think, view us as competition when, like I said earlier, our envision was to be a tool utilized by everyone and to help organize everyone and, and to stop moving in so many different directions. You know, the you got the critter groups, you know, they're all interested in what they're what their main objective is and they should be because that's what that that's what it is but the all-encompassing thing is is let's save hunting and let's be be hunters and sportsmen we always wanted to be part of that but i think a lot of especially the legacy orgs are they're starting to come around but still like oh we don't want to lose membership we don't want to lose to to those guys these guys are just coming around to like take our members basically, or take the spotlight away from us. I don't, I don't really know what the mentality was because I never had a nuanced conversation with anyone. I just heard what was being said. Uh, so I drew those conclusions, but my hope is, so we, just to give you an idea, we, we partnered with Pope and Young. Okay. If you go to Howl for Wildlife, you can buy 
our Pope and Young membership, which means you get the Howl for Wildlife membership and the Pope and Young membership together for the same price that you could go buy Pope and Young on Pope and Young's site. So my vision was, why can't we do this with all the organizations? Why can't we have Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, all these other organizations that have a membership and say, okay, come to Halfa Wildlife, you can purchase that. And it shows the unity of it all. And both organizations are going to benefit from it. And there's going to be a stronger bond because the anti-hunting establishment has no problems giving grants to each other. They have no problem locking arms together and showing up to meetings together and doing all these things together because their ultimate goal is to end us. Even though they have, you know, the save the whales people, the save the polar bears people, and the, you know, they have their niches, but they always come together. That's why you see Project Coyote, Husis, and Wildlife for All, and all these other things. They always show up. They always show up, and we do not. And that's truer words have not been spoken. You know, I was asked to to be a, a speaker this year at Sierra Club's Lands, Waters, and Wildlife Day that they do at our state capitol. Mm-hmm. And Sierra Club, I think, sometimes gets a real bad rap among the hunting community. They're, they're often viewed as an anti-hunting organization, and maybe some chapters are. Yeah. Well, I don't know. And certainly some of their members are. But I think Sierra Club overall as an organization doesn't necessarily have an anti-hunting platform. And there's a number of Sierra Club members here in New Mexico that I actually work with pretty closely, you know, on hunting and fishing related things. And there are other Sierra Club members who I know well who would absolutely take any opportunity to stop hunting. Oh, yeah. Um so it, it kind of varies, but when the executive director of Sierra Club asked me to come and, and speak again, Sierra Club's Land, Waters, and Wildlife Day, the Wildlife Federation has its day every year at the Capitol. Also, we call it Camo at the Capitol, mm-hmm. and uh, we try to get all of as many members as we possibly can to show up wearing their camouflage and we do some education, talk about all the bills, go around and meet with legislators and do all that stuff. Man, I have to work for weeks, maybe months in advance of that event to get 30 hunters to show up you know i mean it's 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 a lot of work to get 30 people i showed up to talk to sierra club and the place is packed i mean standing room only they show up in in forces and they show up with checkbooks you know like they're ready to to make donations and write checks and make a difference and what what i was presenting on primarily was senate bill 72 which hopefully is going to be heard on the house floor tonight and then headed over to the governor's desk that's a wildlife corridors fund so we're working to try to get some money to build a wildlife crossing on highway 550 north of cuba which is one of the hot spots in the state where we have the highest concentration of wildlife vehicle collisions and a huge percentage of those collisions are with elk so that's a major safety concern for motorists and also we want to connect that habitat you know our habitat's been so fragmented by roads and development that if we can connect some of these habitats back together prevent wildlife from getting hit on the roadways increase opportunities for hunters to go out and you know hunt that wildlife but anyway i was talking about senate bill 72 to a humongous crowd of conservation focused people and they all know i'm a hunter you know there was no no secrets there they were all super supportive and and seemed appreciative of the presentation right but i'm just getting at 
the comment that you made that they show up because my gosh, they they show up and they don't have to work nearly as hard as I have to work to get that attendance. They just send out an email. Hey guys, this is the day we're doing our thing and, yep. and the That's parking it. lot fills up. Yep. Well, that, that leads me into my, my third and biggest hurdle. And that's just getting hunters to one, understand that a bill in New Mexico about whatever bear hunting, let's say, affects a guy in New York who deer hunts. Like there's such a disconnect. Hunters don't understand that we're all in this together. We're all paying into the same system our voices collectively is why we still have hunting and fishing in place. And the more they chip away at these, these little pieces and take away, okay, I'm not a lion hunter. I'm not a bear hunter or whatever, whatever. It doesn't affect me, but you take those pieces, those chips, chip those pieces away from the, from the greater whole, the voice gets smaller and smaller and eventually, maybe not in mine in your lifetime, maybe not in our grandkids' lifetime or till our grandkids' lifetime, but eventually they're going to come for deer hunting because that is the goal. The goal is to end all hunting. It's not just to get rid of coyote hunting or to get rid of bear hunting. Those are just the low-hanging fruit. Those are the things where they feel like they can make a move, you know? And, and they have, they've, I mean, look, look across the nation. There's so many places, so many instances where we've lost and we keep on continuing to lose. You know, it's one thing if there is a true scientific reason for not being able to hunt something or for limiting opportunity on something. I'm all about that. I don't want to be the guy that shoots the last deer and Basically, what I mean is that I want, I, I am in support of whatever the science dictates that we should follow when it comes to management, you know, because I feel if we follow the science and we follow management in, in that manner and not, you know, with our brains and not with our hearts, we'll be able to get that back. You know what I'm saying? Like the, it comes full circle. Okay. So maybe we'll have it. We're having a, a drought, a couple of drought years or whatever. Hey, let's lower the tags for whatever. But once it's on the rebound, okay, let's increase the tags back up. You know, like that's smart. And, and I guess what I was getting at was I would support something that took away hunting if it made sense, but I'm not going to support something that doesn't make sense. That's just because I want to prevent people from harvesting animals. You know, I guess kind of that's where I was, was heading with that. No, that, that that's fine. And I think that's well said a couple, a couple things I'd kind of like to add to it. The first one, I think hunters need to be focused on the scientific management management of wildlife. I'm a strong believer in the North American models of wildlife conservation. I'm a partner of the Wild Harvest Initiative that's, you know, founded and run by Shane Mahoney. You probably are familiar with Shane's work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so we have conversations regularly and scientific management is critical, but I think I think hunters need to always maintain that value and not just use it when it's convenient. Right. Because because 
hunters often say, oh, that's just an emotional argument. You're just being emotional. You're not thinking about the science. And then you hear hunters saying things that uh, are not scientifically founded, like when it comes to coyote killing contests, for example. And, oh, mm-hmm. we have to do that to manage the coyote populations. Like, no, I mean, I, you know, I don't have a problem with anybody killing any number of coyotes, but thinking that you're actually managing the coyote population because you hosted a contest that's not i don't think the science would support that agreed agreed you actually brought up the same thing that i was thinking i actually put a post on my instagram yesterday of a coyote i shot a coyote with my bow and i put up a video of coyote taking down a buck mule deer buck that i that i videoed a couple of years back and um you know my point of putting it up there let me, let, let me back up a little bit my point of putting it up there was to to prove to show to prove that coyotes don't only just eat dead animals they're not just scavengers like they're portrayed to be they don't only just eat mice and rodents but my point in this conversation about this is that I respect coyotes. I don't hate coyotes. I hunt coyotes. I try to do most of my coyote hunting right before fawns are dropping to have the most effect on a positive effect on management as I can. I view coyotes as another hunter. Like I don't view them as competition to me. I they're in in a way they're yes, I hunt them, but I almost look at them as another me, you know, and I guess where I'm going with this is that there's people that on both sides of the fence that, you know, have this emotional argument with coyote and, and I always look at it like things need to be managed holistically. You can't enter into a system in any way, shape or form and not expect, you know, if you come in from this angle, it's going to get affected on the opposite angle. You know, you can't manage one thing without managing another. You can't move move this piece without that other piece moving. And, you know, coyotes, wolves, bears, lions, they all, they all fall into that place. Like I don't, a lot of people will look at those as competition. Oh, I don't want, I don't want lions that kill too many deer and I don't want, you know, kill them all that like, I don't have that view. Like, I feel like they have their place. I feel like they got to eat too. They are animals I want to see on the landscape. They're also animals I want to hunt too. So, you know, if people would just hunted them, and they'd probably have a different, maybe they'd have a different mentality and still, you know, they would view them like they do deer and elk and antelope and everything else. But I think it all has its place, but it, it all has, it all has a need to be managed because we are the intellectual beings. We are also the, the beings that on this planet that have the most influence over everything, everything we touch in this world from a super wild mountainous area, we cut a road. That road, seemingly simple as it is, does not, has an effect, has an effect some way, shape, or form, whether that's it gives wolves an easier path to prey or 
whatever the case may be. You know, there's a number of different ways to look at it. But so for me, when I when I think about things, I'm like, it is our responsibility. One, because we are this huge consumer of everything, every resource out there. We also build and occupy the most space out of any single organism out there. I mean, except for maybe insects. But if, unless you want to go around eating insects for the rest of your life, uh, keep those out of the, the conversation. But, you know, like we have this big effect, we have this big impact on everything in the world. That's why it's important for us to manage everything in, in a fashion that is with a, with the idea that we want to keep it. That, you know, that's where the word conservation comes from. We want to be able to use and conserve things so that it's continually there, you know, and I don't know, I, I'll get off my soapbox, but that's, that's my, my philosophy, I guess, on, on things. Well, that was very well said and, and super important. I appreciate you making those points because one thing that makes me cringe Every time I see it, and social media has created an easy way for people to communicate with the entire world. I mean, it's created – everybody has a platform, you know. Right. And when I see bad hunter behavior, I, I it just – it makes me sick to my stomach. I spend more time than I would like to admit trying to get hunters to change their behavior on social media. And you know what? In New Mexico, we've got wolves, Mexican gray wolves. We've got them in Arizona. We yep. just completed the the wolf count in February. I worked with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service on that count. I was working out of Alpine, Arizona. We had 241 wolves is the minimum wolf count this year, which is a 22% increase in a single year's time. We went from wow. under 200 to now 241 wolves. So the wolf recovery program is... is working i mean they're doing amazing things and at one point as you know we were down to seven mexican gray wolves and i'm personally thrilled that they didn't go extinct because they, I mean, they we were down to seven individual animals and they would have been wiped off the planet forever um but wolves are obviously very very controversial but and that's fine you know people can have their different thoughts and opinions on them the reality as you said though is nothing exists by accident anymore you know, if, if there's wolves on the landscape, it's because we chose for there to be wolves on the landscape. You right. know, we make choices. Nothing exists by accident. It's it, human management is critical. But there are people, you know, who don't think we should have wolves. They would have rather like to see the wolf go extinct. And, and that personal opinion is fine. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. What gets me fired up, though, is when I see a post on Facebook that says, shoot a pack a day or smoke a pack a day or shoot, right. shovel shut up or, or all of these kind of things where hunters are talking about this in an incredibly disrespectful way to wildlife and in a way that's going to offend a lot of the non-hunting public and a way that would encourage many non-hunters to become more in line with anti-hunters and you know for any hunter to go on the internet and and brag about you know an intent to commit a felony which is what it would Stupid. be if you kill a, a mexican gray wolf right <laughs> it's it's unbelievable yeah. and i i i really struggle to try to get through to, to so much of the hunting community as to the effect of those comments and the effect of, of that perception that they're creating it's so bad for hunters i mean there was a 
a time when there was a post in New Mexico on social media, on Facebook, of someone who had killed a whole bunch of coyotes and laid the coyotes out to spell the word PETA. Yeah. And then had taken like an aerial photograph with a drone. Stupid. You know? And I, I just blows my mind. I said, what are you doing? Like, we have got to be better ambassadors of this activity. Like, we have to get the hunting community on board with recognizing and understanding that we are our own advocates. We're our own ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And we can also be our own worst enemies if we're not careful. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you and I probably both remember a time when um, – before DVD players and stuff, hunting videos used to be on VHS. A lot of the listeners on this won't know what that is, but mm-hmm. I'm aging myself here. But I remember going into like a Walmart, going straight to the hunting section as a kid. You know, we go into Walmart or Kmart store, and I would just go straight to the sporting goods, you know, just out of habit. That's where I would head. And there used to be rows and rows of videos, mm-hmm. you know, hunting videos. Yep. And the focus would be like, 30 kills in the 30 minute episode, 30 oh, yeah. kill shots. You know, and you would look at the cover of it. It would just be splatters of blood and stuff, you know, and it, it was like really poor marketing, but it wasn't, I don't think it was hugely impactful to the general public because the only people that would see it are people that would specifically go to that aisle and look for it. Right. You know, but now with social media, that's not the case. You know, we're, we're very, very exposed exactly. and everything that we do and say is subject to interpretation by people who may not have the same type of experiences or viewpoints that we have. And I mean, through, through the action center that you guys do, the messaging is so spot on and so accurate and concise. And I can't even imagine the amount of work that it takes to, to put those together, but I'm hoping that we can, somehow start to affect every hunter in how they present themselves and the activity on a daily basis, not just talking to decision makers, but when they make a post on social media or things like that, that I think are a huge, in my opinion, it's a huge risk to the future of hunting when we have people not doing a good job of representing the activity. 100%. 100%. I've been, so I've been talking about this for a long time and I've, and I've fallen victim to it myself. So I have, you know, like I said, I had a TV show, I have a outfitting service. So I've put up kill shots. I've put up, you know, stuff like that because that when you're speaking to your audience, when you're speaking to the hunting community directly, those are unfortunately are the, the you know that thing that you talked about the blood splatter on the thirty kill shots. Those are the things that sold to hunters. Unfortunately, not that that's what we want to see, but we, it's not that necessarily we want to see the death of the animal. It's what, how can I recreate what it you know that experience for me and how can i you know so like that that thing is there it's it's very much there and and the 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 um on on wait, i can't even think of the word i'm looking for now um the invent of social media we'll say i guess has made it even worse because like that photo that you described of the the coyote spelling PETA. Now we're doing things to get 
likes. We want that little dopamine response when people say, you know, let me, let me hit the like button. Let me make a comment or let me put up something that's going to good, bad, or ugly is going to go viral because it's going to push my platform and I'm going to get more subscribers and more followers and blah, 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 blah. So we do outrageous, stupid shit, excuse my French, to, to get that, to get to that spot. So you see more and more. And the way that the algorithms work, especially from Meta, uh, like Instagram and uh, Facebook, is somebody makes a comment, you post something, 10 people see it, okay? 10 of your followers see it. If five out of the 10 of your followers either like it or comment on it, it opens the door to the next. And that opens the door to the next. And it opens the door to the next. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. The net gets wider and wider. And it's kind of like a multi-level marketing deal. Okay. And so you put stuff on there that's going to get a reaction, good, bad, or ugly. And that reaction is going to propel that is going to propel that that piece, whatever content that it is that you're putting out of the photo, video. And now it gets to a point where it's surpassing your immediate niche that was the people that you normally talk to, the people that are like-minded, the people that most are like you. And now other people start seeing it. Okay? And now their comments are coming in and those comments are negative, but it still keeps growing. And now it's going to those people's followers and those people's followers. And so that's why stuff like Cecil the Lions and all that stuff go way past the hunting community and go to um, anti-hunting and go through the – and that's how it gets spun into something that looks bad for hunting. So you always got to think about, am I putting this out there and who am I talking to? You should know that you're not only talking to your 10 buddies that have the same view as you, the same mentality as you. I don't know. I, I, I bring up this situation a lot. There's, I do this often. I find myself doing it. Not that I am the... Uh, you know, the authority on, uh, what's right and wrong. And I, 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 I try not to, uh, be a prophet of, of any sort, but you know, there was this guy, he, uh, he posted a video. So we're in camouflage driving a quad and he, this boar, it's a big, like uh, European hog of some sort is charging him and he keeps running it over with the quad and then the board gets up and charges him again and he runs like back and forth back and forth and i'm like and this thing is going viral like i just see the numbers climbing and climbing and climbing and i'm like oh fuck this is gonna be bad so i just messaged the guy and i'm like listen yeah i'm not gonna tell you what to do with your platform but if you're a hunter which it looks like you are and this is bad for hunting. Like this is going to go and this is the, this is going to be weaponized against you. 
and I messaged him directly because there were so many comments on there from hunters saying, oh, you're a moron, don't do this, whatever. But with those people that they're well-intentioned, they're trying to tell this guy, hey, take this down or hey, that's a really stupid thing to do, yada, 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 they're still pushing it. They're still pushing that content and it's making it grow. So, you know, it's like, I, I don't know where I was going with this whole, but we're in a place now that, not that I want you to walk around on eggshells, but I, I want people to be mindful of what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they're portraying it. Not just for the negative stuff, but even for the positive stuff. Think about it. I'm not against posting grip and grins. You'll see a lot of people out there, hey, don't, don't post this, don't post that. And then you got people like Matt Ranella that's pushing this hunt quietly deal. I don't really necessarily believe in that. I believe that if you're going to post a grip and grin, post a really good caption with it, and also post a picture of the meat, post a picture of you packing the meat out, post a picture of the meal you made with that meat so that the whole story is there. You know, and not just yeah, I, oh. not just this guy who's glorifying his his or her uh, quote unquote trophy. So, I, I think that's spot on, and, and context matters, right? How, you know, when we use images, they can be misinterpreted, but we can minimize the misinterpretations when we provide that context you're talking about. When we provide a, a sneak peek into the story and the work that was involved, or the the time with nature, the time with friends and family, whatever it might be. I, I think right. we absolutely nailed it. And I think it's incumbent on us as leaders in the hunting community, you know, to, to self police and to do exactly what you just described doing by sending that individual a message like, Hey man, you, you know, let's rethink this. Maybe uh, there, there could be consequences to this and maybe that wasn't your intention, but that's a real risk here. So we, we should, uh, assess the situation and maybe maybe delete that post, for example. But I, I think what you did in contacting that individual is what every leader in the hunting community needs to take it upon themselves to also do is to self-police the activity and, and the messaging surrounding the activity so that it can continue well into the future. And part of the messaging, I think, has to be hunters' love and appreciation for wildlife, not just the species that we hunt either. I mean, as as you know, the species that we hunt generally are doing really, really well. I mean, white-tailed deer and wild turkeys, while, you know, at the turn of the century, their populations were decimated. Now they're considered a nuisance in many parts of the country because mm -hmm. there's, there's such an abundance of them. But we're losing other species, you know, things like lesser prairie chickens or pinion jays or gila monsters or, or whatever. And I think hunters can do a lot for the future of hunting if we really communicate proactively and intentionally communicate how much we care about and love that wildlife that we don't hunt. And right. when hunters are funding our state wildlife agencies, those agencies are working on a lot of non-game species. You know, they're not just working on those species that we hunt, but we're funding the agency to do work on the desert sand lizard. And I think sometimes we don't communicate that, enough you know it right maybe it doesn't come 100%. off as being 
macho or something. But when we can educate other wildlife advocates in in the non-hunting world about our work and our efforts and our legitimate and sincere appreciation for all wildlife, I think it's going to go a long way to improving people's perception about hunters and about hunting. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's on us to do that though, that, you know, you're, you're saying it and, and you put, you pointed it out, but we actually have to do it. And you, you mentioned the leaders in, in the hunting world, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to call anybody out because there's a lot of guys that are, are doing, you know, a lot of positive stuff, but I see it time and time and again, you know, hell, I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there. So for this Florida right to hunt thing, it's almost sad how many or how little people are getting involved in it. And I called out a, a bunch of influencers in Florida that their platforms, their, the reason why they are influencers, the reason why they have a business is because of hunting and fishing and if that goes away, it's going to go away, but yet they're not getting involved. There's this very, um, if it doesn't affect me or if it doesn't help me mentality out there, then, you know, I'm indifferent on it, you know? And it's like, I, I don't know how, other than these conversations that you and I are having right now and, and, and touching however many people this podcast touches, but you know, I don't know how, how you have these conversations on a larger scale. Like I, I really wish I could go on tour, uh, and hit every hunting and fishing podcast there is to reach the most amount of people and have this very conversation that we're having right now about getting involved and, 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 and caring about it and taking part, but it's not, we're not going to go anywhere. It's just you and me talking, preaching to the choir and, and, and falling on deaf ears or however you want to put it. If people don't just make the realization, Hey, I need to, I need to do this. And I really wish, I, I really wish that influencers would get involved because that's what you, your, your job title is your influencer influence people to do the right thing, you know? <laughs> and I don't know. I'm, I'm going around in circles, but that's, yeah, but this is my third podcast yeah, by the way today. So <laughs> I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, my first two were, I was a little bit more concise and uh, to the point. No, this is great. This is only my second podcast of the day. I uh, was on cable Smith's show just before we got on the, on the call here. I was on cable Smith's show talking about a lot of these very similar issues with the uh, Lone Star Outdoors. Nice. Uh, yeah, so I, I totally can sympathize. I won't, I won't keep you much longer, but I'd, I'd love for you to – you mentioned competition. I, I feel compelled to just tell this really brief story. Uh, and you might have heard this story already, but in Springfield, Missouri, not a few years back, uh, Johnny Morris opened up the Wonders of Wildlife Museum. I don't know if you've been there or not, but um, I, have, I, have not. I haven't – I've been there, but it was closed, so I, I've only been on the outside of the building. I haven't been inside, but I hear it's one of the most remarkable museums on the planet. And uh, quick story. So when the, there was a the grand opening for that museum, 
And there was a variety of keynote speakers, including Shane Mahoney and also Johnny Morris, who at the time owned Bass Pro Shops, but didn't own Cabela's. You know, now since then, obviously, he's purchased Cabela's as well. Mm-hmm. But he was on stage at the Wonders of Wildlife Museum, kind of providing a, a presentation, a keynote speech to the audience. And while he's on stage on this giant screen behind him, the Cabela's advertisement pops up. Right. Uh-huh. And so you've you've got the CEO of Bass Pro Shops on stage speaking at his museum. And then you got this Cabela's advertisement in the back, which was kind of ironic. And so when the, the advertisement came on, the audience kind of erupted in laughter. You know, it was kind of a funny, a funny moment. Right. And so Johnny Morris looked behind and saw what they were laughing at, that, that Cabela's was being advertised in the middle of his speech. At the time, that was his largest competitor. And what Johnny Morris said at that time he laughed and said you know a lot of folks in this room would view that advertisement as being my competitor but when it comes to conservation there's no room for competition right you know which i thought was a a a pretty powerful quote and so to your earlier comment about organizations viewing howl for wildlife as a competitor that's certainly disappointing to me and i'm hoping we can change that trend because the Wildlife Federation, the Mexico Wildlife Federation has right about 80,000 members. And I would call on every single member of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation to also be a member of Howl for Wildlife. In fact, I would call on every hunter in the country to be a member of Howl for Wildlife. You know, we, we need those numbers. And you guys are doing such amazing work. I, I just can't commend you enough for the difference that you're making. And I, I know how much work goes into it. I know you know, how many hours are invested and it's often a thankless job. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just the nature (laughs) of people. I mean, people are quick to criticize, boy, they'll they'll criticize anybody for anything. Um, They're typically a little less generous when it comes to offering words of praise. But I I really want to thank you and the whole Howell team for everything you've done. And I want to see it grow, man. I want to see it just continue on the trajectory that it's on. And I want to be supportive and provide any amount of help I can to, to your team and your organization. So with that said, any, any final words, any, you know, you'd like to share with folks where they can find you, where they can find how, how they can make the biggest impact in supporting you to continue to do the work. Sure. Absolutely. So much like our action center, making it super easy, we've, we've created this. I, and I, I believe we're the only, organization that does this we've also we've created a way for you to be a member for free uh we offer a free membership because we don't want to tell a sportsman hey we don't want you to get involved because you don't want to give us 30 dollars a year we want you to be involved now that's important for us it's important for us to have active members taking action and, and so we, we've created that. To, to help us out the most would be to go and become a full member, pick up one of the membership packages that we have. We have, like I mentioned earlier with Pope and Young, we have our own $30 straight HAL membership a year. Uh, we've developed partnerships with Go Hunt, where you can come and get the Go Hunt Insider, which is $149 deal that you if you went to go hunt directly you you'd pay $149 and you'd get to get this uh 
the whole Go Hunt membership, right? If you came to Howl for Wildlife and you purchase it, you get the Howl membership on top of it. So an additional $30 membership plus you get an additional 15% to shop on Go Hunt store with the Howl membership and save, you know, like I said, save 15%. And then there's special yearly giveaways that are associated with that. So it's like kind of like a no brainer. Hey, go to Howl for Wildlife, pay for that. If I want Go Hunt, go to Howl for Wildlife, you pay a hundred. $49 there, or you pay $149 at Go Hunt, but at Hal, you get all this extra stuff. Plus, since we're a 501c3, 50% of that $149 is tax deductible. So, you know, we want people to get involved in any, any way, shape, or form. If, if all you could do is the free membership, do the free membership. But you see one of our actions on Instagram. Because that's our main Instagram is our main driver for notifying people, uh, aside from our email blasts. But if you see an action on Instagram, share it, put it on your story. You know, you see things going on in other states. Get involved, like you said earlier. You you never got involved in Washington and uh, New Jersey and all these other places that had things going on, but you were able to. And we encourage you to because it means a lot. So yeah, go to howlforwildlife.org or you could go to howl.org too. We have, it goes to the same place. And then check us out on Instagram at uh, howl underscore org. That's basically it. And Awesome, man. And Howl has a, has a podcast also, right? Yeah, we have the Howlcast. We encourage you to follow along on that. We have... We have guests on that usually close to whatever action that we are working on. And we do uh, time to time, we do an action center review, which is where we kind of go through all the current actions and just give an explanation of what's going on and how to, how and why to get involved uh, situation. Uh, every once in a while, we'll, you know, we'll throw on some conversations like you and I are having on there where it's just a little bit more generalized. I want all of our listeners to, to look you up and, and follow you and listen to the things that you're saying and listen to the guidance and follow the advice because um, that's what it's going to take. You know, it's, it's going to take people like you doing the work that you're doing to get the rest of the hunting community on board with being involved, being engaged. You know, I've looked at efforts like 2% for conservation. You know, I don't know how they're doing these days, but, you know, they, they, they were – asking people to give 1% of their money and 1% of their time to conservation. And, and that's a request that I make of New Mexicans all the time. It's if you can take two weeks off for an elk cut, give just one day every quarter to conservation to show up at your state game commission meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the lack of hunter participation at our state game commission meetings. And to be fair, our commission is a disaster. As you know, we're working together on this game commission <laughs> reform action. So you know how bad it is. The commission's an absolute disaster, but I still don't think that's an excuse for hunters to completely be absent from commission meetings. You know, there's generally four or five commission meetings a year. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's not uncommon that there are less than five hunters in our game commission meetings our statewide game commission meetings five seems like regularly have <laughs> it does <laughs> you know it, and isn't that crazy it shouldn't be right when yeah. seventy-two thousand people are applying for an elk tag 
how can we not fill the room every single commission meeting? Um, so, so anyway, let me let me let me tell you this real quick because I didn't touch on this earlier. One of the other things that Alpha Wildlife does is we provide a um, scheduling tool that allows you to RSVP to these game commission meetings, and then we also provide uh, typically a night or two before. The actual meeting will have will host host a Zoom meeting and educate those people that are going to go to that meeting on what's going to be said, how it's ran. If you want to talk, this is how to present yourself. These are the talking points. These are these are the you know this is the the science behind. This is some of the things that we're we've researched so on and so forth and we provide you with all this material so that if you do want to go and you do want to show up some of these are virtual meetings if you do want to go online and and voice your opinion and have your voice heard you're going to go in with your best foot forward and it's been almost as impactful as the action center to be honest with you we've gotten so much feedback from especially at the commission level where commissioners are like, we've never seen more than like one or two hunters. This is, how'd you get 200 people to show up? And all of you had interesting and different things to say. Like, that's huge. So uh, I'm just letting you know this too, just from me, to, from our organization to yours, if you have commission meetings coming up that you uh, you want people to get involved on, let us know, We'll uh, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Thank you so much for that offer. And that, that's such a valuable resource. I mean, I, I can't overstate the value of, of providing that education, providing that resource to people who, who want to get involved because there is an intimidation factor. You know, oh, yeah. folks are nervous. They, you know, public speaking isn't something everybody's comfortable with to get up and make a comment. But to your point about the virtual meetings, that's, if anything good came out of COVID, I, I think oh, yeah. it's these virtual 100%. options. So, our legislative committee hearings, every single committee hearing I've been to this session has had a virtual option. And every game commission meeting since the pandemic has also had a virtual option. So folks can, you know, chime in, listen, and or comment virtually, which I think is a little less intimidating for some people. So that's a positive. But man, I, I, I can't thank you enough for all your time today, John. It's It's been a great conversation. Uh, fantastic getting to know you better. And I'm looking forward to working closely with you for years Likewise. to come. Likewise. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next show.